If you would turn to the Gospel of Luke once more, Luke chapter 19, while you're doing that, let me just mention a couple of things that I neglected to uh, give to Joe this morning in way of announcements. Um, First, we've become aware that some of you um, are having trouble receiving emails from the office. If that's the case, please let Charlene know, and we'll try to figure out what the problem is there. Um, Also, we have just concluded our study on Wednesday evenings uh, on uh, through Hebrews, and in our the course of our study through Hebrews, some questions were raised, and don't ask me how this subject came up because I don't remember, but questions were raised in regard to uh, what the scripture says about economics. And so we're going to take some time beginning this Wednesday night uh, and look at the subject of biblical economics. What does the Bible say about markets and private property? And does the scripture teach capitalism or socialism. We're going to take a look at a lot of those kinds of questions. So uh, join us, if you, if you will, on uh, Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, and we'll start working our way through the scripture in regard to those kinds of subjects. We are now, this morning, in Luke chapter 19. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10 of Luke 19, and I just have had a wonderful time in this passage this week. Just This story of Zacchaeus is just so much fun, and there is so much here. Uh, I've been looking forward to opening this portion of the word with you this morning. Let me read through for us, beginning with verse 1 of Luke chapter 19. He entered Jericho and was passing through. Now, just... Before we go any further, you'll remember what's happening here. Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem. He's coming from the north of Israel down through the nation, down to Jerusalem. And now he has come to Jericho, which interestingly enough, is the first place that the people of Israel came to when they crossed the Jordan to take control of the land. And it's the last place that Jesus, as we have it recorded in the Gospels at least, actually interacts with individuals. From this point on, his face is turned toward the cross. He, He entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus, He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. 
Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Father, open your word to us this morning. Most of us know that Charles Spurgeon was a great 19th century Victorian preacher at the Metropolitan Tabernacle in in London. He also had founded a pastor's college out of that church, which is still in operation today. A famous feature of that college experience was something called the Question Oak. There was a large oak tree on the premises, and in good weather, students would gather there under the oak tree on Friday afternoons to ask questions of Mr. Spurgeon, and when called upon by him to deliver extemporaneous sermons. One memorable occasion, Spurgeon called on a student to give a message on Zacchaeus. The student rose and said this, Zacchaeus was of little stature, so am I. Zacchaeus was up a tree, so am I. (laughs) Zacchaeus came down, so will I. And then he sat down. (laughs) And Spurgeon and the rest of the students applauded. It's a fun story, the idea of a small little man perched like a bird up in a tree and then being found out. It's the stuff of humor and song. Many of us are familiar with the old Sunday school song. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. As I say, it's a fun story, but we've got to remember that the story occupies a very serious place in Luke's account of Jesus' life. Because, as I mentioned earlier, it is the last personal encounter that Jesus will have before his arrival in Jerusalem and the events leading to his death. All that remains is his telling of the parable of the ten minas, or talents, (coughs) and then the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Significantly, the final line of this story of Zacchaeus contains really the summary statement of Jesus' entire ministry. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Saving the lost is what Jesus has come to do. And his face is turned to the cross because that's where he will accomplish the salvation of the lost. 
In this respect, the salvation of Zacchaeus is important because it has so many spiritual connections to the events that preceded it. The healing of the blind beggar corresponds here to the deliverance of a man lost in wealth and corruption. And its connection to the story before that one, that of the rich young ruler, is also clear because it's stated that the salvation of the rich man is humanly impossible. It's easier to go through the, uh, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. But here, in the salvation of Zacchaeus, this impossibility actually takes place. From a tax-collecting perspective, Zacchaeus had it made. Except for the ports on the coast, taxes were collected at three places in the country. Capernaum, Jericho, and Jerusalem. And Zacchaeus had one of those big three. Everyone would have to come to one of those locations to pay their taxes. And Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector. And he was extremely rich. Jericho had a commanding position at the crossing of the Jordan River and one of the prime approaches to Jerusalem. Which is why Jesus ends up there. You can't get to Jerusalem if you're coming from the north without going through Jericho. Not unless you want to take a circuitous route. Jericho was rich due to its great palm forests, balsam groves, And as chief tax collector, Zacchaeus was the head of a corporation with all kinds of other tax collectors underneath him. And these tax collectors were hated because they were to a man corrupt. And they would take advantage of the people. And they would charge them exorbitant amounts in taxes which they would then take a portion of those taxes for themselves. They would be paid before the Romans. And much like, if you understand how uh, La Costa Nostra was set up, right? organized crime, if you're a soldier, you're kicking some of your proceeds up to the captain. And then up to the head of the family. The same thing is going on here. This is organized crime. Sanctioned by the Roman Empire. The tax collectors would take your money. A portion of it would go to Zacchaeus. And then Rome would get what's left. He was the kingpin of the Jericho tax cartel. He was filthy rich in the fullest sense of the term. And not a likely candidate for the kingdom. Not if we were going to choose someone. And he was hated. In the eyes of his countrymen, his littleness was more than physical. He was a despised nobody. Some of the locals would have liked to see if they could put him through the eye of a needle. Literally. C.S. Lewis describes it as being squeezed out in one long bloody thread from tail to snout. Uh, 
That's what people would have liked to have done to Zacchaeus. No one would ever have guessed that on that day, Zacchaeus would want to see Jesus. But Luke says that he was trying to see who Jesus was. He was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature, but he was trying to see who Jesus was. Why? Maybe he heard of the conversion of one of his colleagues. Matthew was a tax collector, formerly Levi. Perhaps he had even known Matthew. Israel is a small place. Tax collectors would have naturally hung out together. They were part of the same union after all. Because Jesus had ministered to Matthew and others of his ilk, he had irked the religious establishment and he was becoming known as being a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus evidently had a soft spot for people like Zacchaeus. Maybe that's what drew him. It's also very likely that Zacchaeus had come to, had come to find his wealth and his lifestyle to be unsatisfying. Nothing fulfilled him, nothing lasted. If, if one is going to be honest with themselves, that's where eventually they come to. How often have we heard people say, you know, I thought when I had all the money that I thought I needed, but really wanted, it still left me empty. This lack of satisfaction is what drew Augustine to Christ. As he wrote in retrospect in his confessions, as he's speaking to the Lord, you were always present, angry and merciful at once, strewing the pangs of bitterness over all my lawless pleasure to lead me on to look for others unallied with pain. And then again, he says, your goad was thrusting at my heart, giving me no peace until the eye of my soul could discern you without mistake. Like Augustine, it's very possible that Zacchaeus was drawn by the severe mercy which is present in dissatisfaction with earthly things. It's also very probable that Zacchaeus was tired of being hated by everybody. <laughs> That's got to wear on you. When people hassled him, he gave as good as he got, but he had to be miserable. The relentless contempt of his countrymen constantly being heaped upon him would have left him desolate and alone. Tired of this sad life, this restless little man determined to see Jesus, but he couldn't get near him on account of the crowd because he was small in stature. So how? An occasion like this would have been the perfect opportunity for Zacchaeus to be the object 
of payback. You've got all of these crowds of people also wanting to see Jesus. And you can imagine them closing ranks to keep Zacchaeus out. With perhaps the addition of a well-placed elbow now and then. (laughs) Sorry, Zacchaeus, didn't see you there. But Zacchaeus wouldn't be denied. So he ran on ahead, verse 4, and climbed into a sycamore tree in order to see him. For he was about to pass through that way. To be specific, this particular sycamore tree would have been a very sturdy tree. You may have a marginal reference that, that says it was a kind of fig mulberry tree. It would have been some 40 feet high. A short trunk, very wide branches, branches low to the ground. Would have been easy for someone to climb on. In the end, we get a picture of Zacchaeus, which is both funny and sad. Here is this tiny, rejected little man sitting alone in order to get a glimpse of Jesus. Alone, just as his actions had caused him to live in his life in general. Alone. But he would get his look at Jesus. The initiative of Zacchaeus was matched by the initiative of Christ. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him. And as the song goes, As the Savior passed his way, he looked up in the tree and said, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house today. I'm going to your house today. Jesus stopped by the sycamore tree, and one can imagine that Zacchaeus braced himself to be a further spectacle of ridicule, especially when Jesus calls him by his name. Grown men don't typically climb trees. And now the attention of the crowd is being drawn to him. This little grown man sitting in a tree. Not a dignified position. The possibility of further humiliation was very likely if it had been anyone but Jesus. But it was Jesus And when Jesus calls out to Zacchaeus, he didn't say, hey, you up in the tree. Jesus said, Zacchaeus. He spoke his name. And in speaking his name, there was grace because the same all-knowing eyes that earlier had seen Nathanael under a fig tree and discerned Nathanael's guileless Character now saw Zacchaeus and his guilty character, and Jesus calls to him just as he had called to Nathaniel, and he calls Zacchaeus to himself. And I want to know how did Jesus know his name? We're not told, but in not being told, I think we are told. This is a supernatural knowledge given to Jesus 
for that moment by the Father. And then as Jesus invites himself to Zacchaeus' home, he did not say, I'd like to stay at your house. He says, I must stay. Jesus regarded his encounter with Zacchaeus as a divine mission. His seeking Zacchaeus was a work of sovereign grace. What we begin to see at this point in the story is that Zacchaeus seeking of Jesus and Jesus seeking of Zacchaeus were both sovereign works of God. This is God's plan from beginning to end. The crossing of their lives there at the sycamore was a work of divine providence. This meeting was ordained before the foundation of the world. I want you to think back to when you heard the gospel and when you came to Jesus. Because the events surrounding your conversion are no different than the events surrounding Zacchaeus. God ordained that you would be where you were and that you would be encountering the person who shared the gospel with you. At that moment, in that place, God had ordained that from before the foundation of the world. Because God is a sovereign God. And God calls his people to himself. When and where he determines to do so. Here, he did it for Zacchaeus. Jesus is coming. Zacchaeus is there. And they collide. And the camel is about to go through the eye of the needle. He hurried and came down and received him gladly. Zacchaeus scrambles down from the tree, twigs and leaves flying. That's how I imagine. The desire that God had placed within him, that wish, which Zacchaeus dare not even speak, that he might not only see Jesus, but that he might interact with him, that's becoming a reality. The crowd, of course, is muttering, he has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. That's what the crowds did. Nobody liked it when Jesus interacted with sinners. They thought they were too good. What they didn't understand is that they were just as much sinners as Zacchaeus. But for Zacchaeus, there is only joy. It is Zacchaeus and Jesus. Now to the crowd's amazement, off they go together. The corrupt tax collector of Jericho hurrying alongside Jesus trying to keep up with his stubby little legs. 
Jesus and his disciples would stay at Zacchaeus' house that night. And sometime during that stay, probably after much discussion and prayer, that little man would be changed. That we little man would declare for old Jericho to hear, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And of course, he had defrauded people. He had defrauded everyone he came in contact with virtually. He is essentially doing what the rich young ruler would not do. For starters, he gives 50% of everything he has to the poor. And then from the remaining 50%, he pledges to make restitution to the tune of four times the amount that he had extorted. He had cheated many people. And now he places his entire fortune in jeopardy in order to make things right. That's what Jesus does. That's the kind of change that Jesus brings about. In effect, he's living out that command spoken to the rich young ruler. Sell all that you have and give to the poor and then come and follow me. And that's exactly what Zacchaeus is doing. He is walking through the eye of a needle and living to tell about it. The murmuring crowd was exactly right. Zacchaeus was a sinner. But now he is a sinner accepted by God. That's who I am. I am a sinner accepted by God. If you are in Christ, that is who you are. And that acceptance had given this tax collector what he had vainly sought through the accumulation of his wealth. He was now whole. He was complete. He was satisfied. He had come to the realization that what he needed was not his wealth, but what he needed was Jesus. And now that he has Jesus, he can let everything else go. The compulsive drive to make money was gone. Instead of the passion to get, now he has a passion to give. He went into his house, the littlest man in Jericho, and he left the biggest man in town because of Jesus. Verse 9 says that Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of of Abraham. The crowd would have denied that. The crowd would have looked at him and said, it doesn't matter what his bloodline says. He's a traitor. He's a tool of the Romans. And he is no child of Abraham. But by faith, Zacchaeus had become a true child of Abraham, just as you are, just as I am, if we are in Christ. This is what Paul tells us. We are children of Abraham, how? Not by blood, but by faith. 
And Zacchaeus now shares the faith and the works of Abraham. In Jesus, he had met the horn of salvation prophesied just before Jesus' birth. The one who would give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. And he was a new man. And that's why he was able to give away his fortune. Chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus says, Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. He pronounces this woe because in their self-sufficiency, the rich can become the opposite to those to whom he came to preach the gospel. As he said at the onset of his public ministry, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. To the poor. Wait, but Zacchaeus was not poor and yet Jesus proclaimed good news to him. Well, Zacchaeus was poor. He just didn't know it. We were poor when we heard the gospel, whether we knew it or not. Luke chapter 12 bears these words to all who trust in riches. God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Chapter 16 records Jesus putting forth this choice. No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Just in the last chapter of Luke, We've already seen this in his response to the rich young ruler. How difficult is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And yet Zacchaeus has entered in. Not because he was rich, but because he realized just how poor he was. Jesus said over and over that it's useless to talk about loving him and trusting him and having sweet assurance of forgiveness and the glorious hope of heaven unless it makes a difference in our lives. Unless it makes a difference in our material attachments. Jesus' repeated emphasis is that through, though, though generosity is not the means of redemption, it is a result of redemption. It's an evidence of of redemption. In fact, generosity and giving are pillars of discipleship. No one truly follows Christ who has not learned to give. The faithful church will proclaim this not to serve itself, but to serve Christ and his people. You may have reached a sticking point in your spiritual development. And maybe you wonder why. You read your Bible. Your language has been cleaned up. You're honest in your dealings with people. Maybe the reason you stopped growing is here. Maybe you haven't let go of your stuff yet. Maybe you're 
grasping instead of giving. Maybe that's why you're not growing in your soul. The account of Zacchaeus's changed life ends with this great summary of Christ's mission. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. From what others could see, Zacchaeus was beyond salvation. If you had lived in Jericho, you would have written him off too. He had turned his back on God's word. He had turned his back on God's covenant people. He was a participant in Roman oppression. He was a traitor to his people. He made his money off the backs of his own people. He loved money. His cartel was the cause of much injustice. He was the smallest and meanest, most hated man in town. Perhaps Charles Dickens had Zacchaeus in mind when he created Ebenezer Scrooge. Like Scrooge, no one who knew him would have anticipated the possibility of such a change, except for one thing. And it wasn't the spirit of Christmas, past, present, or future. He was sought out by the Son of Man. Son of Man, the name for the majestic being of Daniel's vision to whom the Ancient of Days has given all dominion and authority. Son of Man is a messianic title. But it's also a reference to the incarnation because God the Son took on human form and became the Son of Man. He's the transcendent God-man, co-eternal with the Ancient of Days, who sought Zacchaeus and did the impossible. Zacchaeus passed through the eye of a needle, not as a long bloody thread from tail to snout, but because of the blood of Jesus, who is himself the door. And the door opened wide for Zacchaeus. Salvation came to him because he was sought out, not because he sought. It was God who prompted his seeking. This is what Augustine said of God. You follow close behind the fugitive and recall us to yourself in ways we cannot understand. He makes us hungry. He causes us to search. He compels us to come. This is the sovereign grace of God. At the end of C.S. Lewis's spiritual biography, he writes this. The words, compel them to come in, have been so abused by wicked men that we shudder at them. But properly understood, they plumb the depth of the divine mercy. The hardness of God is kinder than the softness of men, and his compulsion is our liberation. God orchestrated Zacchaeus's compulsion to seek Jesus and the crossing of their lives at that sycamore tree and Jesus' call were all divinely managed. Zacchaeus was caught 
Because in his seeking, he had been sought. This is, of course, why I chose the hymn that we sang just before the message. I sought the Lord and afterward I knew. He moved my soul to seek him, seeking me. It was not that it was not I that found, O Savior, true. No, I was found of thee. That's the reality. And if you know Jesus Christ, it is because he found you. We love because he first loved us. Is God seeking you? Are you experiencing that unease that Zacchaeus experienced? Nothing satisfies. You're not really ever comfortable. You lack wholeness. You lack a clean conscience. You lack peace. Understand this. The hardness of God is kinder than the softness of man. And his compulsion is our liberation. If that is so, then you are up in the sycamore tree. And Jesus is saying, come down. I must dine with you. I have sought you. I am seeking you. I am the Son of Man. And I died for dissatisfied, discontent, guilty sinners like you. Come down. And you may say, I can't. You may say, I'm too small, I'm too wicked, I'm too guilty. If you knew my heart, you wouldn't say that. But Jesus says, I know all that already. I know who you are. I know who you are better than you know who you are. And I want you still. Jesus says, I know what your heart is like. And I'll give you a new heart. Come down. Come to me. Would you do that this morning? Is the Spirit of God calling you as Jesus called to Zacchaeus? Don't stay up in the tree. Heed the call. Trust in Christ. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for this picture. The picture of what you have done in the life of everyone who knows and trusts in Jesus Christ and the picture of what you will do for everyone who trusts in him. Father, should there be those here today or those listening to this message sometime in the future who do not know the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ, Father, draw them, break their heart, seek them out, call them to your Son, change their heart and make them new. This we pray in the name of Christ, our Savior, our Redeemer, our Merciful One. Amen.